Hey guys, this is Eric. I'm one of the ministers here at the Robertsdale Church of Christ. I just want to say thank you for checking out this message, and I'd like to invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 1030 if you're ever in the Robertsdale area. If you want to find out more information about the Robertsdale Church, head over to our website at robertsdalechurch.com. All right, let's get to the message. I'm praying that God will use this message to bless you and will help you grow closer to Jesus Christ. One of my favorite movies of all time is the movie Remember the Titans. I don't know if you've seen it. One of the reasons why I love Remember the Titans is because my oldest daughter, Kinley, I feel like looks a lot like the young lady who played Cheryl Yost in the movie. I mean, the resemblance is just crazy. We tried to pose to get the right face, but we couldn't get it to work. So anyways, I feel like, man, it just... I can't ever get over that. I love this movie. So it's based out of 1971 in Alexandria, Virginia, where uh, an all-black high school and an all-white high school were forced to integrate, and there was a lot of racial tensions that were going on, a lot of, uh, a lot of issues in the city and the community and even in the school. And so uh, the movie centers around the football team where Coach Herman Boone, who's an African-American football coach, was chosen to be the head coach over this team in place of Bill Yost, who was uh, previously the head coach and was, according to the movie, up for being in the Virginia High School Hall of Fame. And so there's a lot that's going on in the movie. And there's one scene in particular that I really love as Coach Boone is trying to bring his team together. And he's going to take them to Gettysburg College, where they're going to go through this summer football camp. He's going to try to teach them some lessons. I want to show you a clip here in just a second. For those that are watching on our live stream, you're not going to get to see the clip because of copyright issues. You're not going to get to hear the clip. Just want you to give a heads up. It's going to be silent for our live stream audience for about a minute and 20 seconds. Everybody else, let's uh, watch this clip together. Don't come together on this hollow ground right now. We too will be destroyed. They did come together. In fact, they go on to go to an undefeated season. They win a state championship. They were even ranked the number two team in the nation. It's one of the most historic teams to ever play on a football field together. It's a powerful movie. They may have taken some liberties in telling the story, but it's a really powerful story that teaches this lesson. Unity does not happen by accident. We know that. We see that in politics today. There is no unity. We see that in families today. If you don't work on your relationship, if you don't work on your marriage, you will not stay united because you will not drift together. You will only drift apart. Unity doesn't happen by accident on teams. If maybe there was a team that you cheer for and they won a championship, you're like, man, they came together and they won the championship. And then by the next year, they couldn't stand one another. Somebody wanted a mega contract. The team split up. And then you read a book about 10 years later about all the drama that was going on. Maybe at your work, you were united as coworkers for a little while till some drama crept in and then you weren't united. Even in church, unity doesn't happen by accident. We can find ourselves divided very quickly. But man, when you see unity, when you experience it, you admire it like you can't take your eyes off of it because it pulls out something in your heart that lets you know, I need that. I long for that. I want to experience that kind of unity. And what we also know is that if we don't have unity, then our society cannot thrive. Our civilization, our country will break down into anarchy without unity. Without unity, our families are destroyed. Without unity, our church loses its witness. So unity is so important. 
So for the last several weeks, we've been in this series called Summer Playlist, where we've been studying through the Psalms of the Ascent. There's 15 of them. We've only looked at four up until today. We're going to look at one more. Today, we're going to close out this series. And the Psalms of the Ascent were Psalms that the Israelites would read, sing, and listen to on repeat as they traveled from wherever they lived back to Jerusalem. If they would travel back for one of the main Jewish feasts like Passover, Pentecost, or the Feast of Tabernacles, and God was giving them a message. And if you look at each individual psalm, they each teach you something different, and they're powerful reminders. And today we're going to be in Psalm 133. It's not the last psalm. Psalm 134 is the final psalm of the ascent. But I chose Psalm 133 to close out our series because it's so powerful. It's, it's a great message for us as a church family to remember. And here's how it starts out. It says, behold, stop, pay attention. This is worth catching. Whatever you're doing, you need to listen to this. Behold. Man, it's so good and pleasant when God's people dwell together in unity. You know this. Just because you live together doesn't mean you have unity. All the married couples said. Oh, wow, that was weak. Jeff, Braley, I'm blaming this on you. You got us all in trouble during Bible class. Marriages are on the rocks for all the things you had us confess this morning. Nobody else wants to confess anything else today, so we're going to blame it on Jeff. But maybe inwardly you said an amen. You know that just living together doesn't bring about unity. In fact, it brings about friction and conflict when you live together. But he says, man, it's so good. It's pleasant. It's breathtaking when God's people live in unity. It's like precious oil poured on the head. Now, in their culture, oil was really important. It was sacred. It was expensive. You would use oil to anoint someone like a prophet, a priest, or a king. But just in common society, they would use oil as a deodorant. They would use oil as ointment if you had some type of wound. And so for them, oil was about giving life. This is something that gives you life. And that's what happens with us when we experience unity. It gives us life and vitality and excitement. And it's like that precious oil that's running down on the beard, actually running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. Now, Aaron, if you know your Bible history, if not, that's okay. But if you know your Bible history, then you know that Aaron was the first high priest. He was the one, he was Moses' brother, and he was chosen to be the first high priest of God's people. And apparently, he had a really awesome beard is what I'm going to assume. And the collar of his robe, what it's talking about is he wore what's called this linen ephod. It's this chest plate, if you will. Uh, and on this chest plate were 12 stones, each stone representing one of the 12 tribes of Israel. So you got a picture, this oil running down. It's this image of abundance, this image of something coming from above. And it's running down Aaron, this oil down across his beard, across his chest plate, running over the 12 tribes of Israel, reminding them of their unity as God's people. Because that's what, God's want, that's what God desires from us. It's as if the dew of Hermon. Let's talk about Mount Hermon for a minute. Mount Hermon was on the northern part of the Promised Land territory. It was a mountain that stood over 9,000 feet tall. It was 15 miles wide, 30 miles long. It was this huge mountain range. You couldn't miss it. And because it was so tall, even though it was in the desert, it had a pretty mild climate because of its height. In fact, most of the year, 
its peaks would have been capped in snow. And so it would be a refreshing place because of its milder climate. It was green and lush where out in the middle of the desert, everything else was barren and dry. And so Hermon was this image of life and refreshment and vitality of a source of cooling. And it was known for its dew that would come down because it was just a milder climate. It's as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. Now, Mount Zion was on the southern part of Israel's territory, about 100 miles away. It was only 2,400 feet above sea level, so not near as tall as Mount Hermon. And because it wasn't near as tall, it was hot, it was dry. It was definitely a desert mountain. And how can the dew of Hermon travel 100 miles to Mount Zion? This is what unity looks like. It spreads and it blesses people because there God bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. So what the psalmist wants us to understand is when God's people dwell in unity, it's unique, it's sacred, it's breathtaking, and it blesses the world. Now, here's the challenge though. When we look at our world, we don't experience unity. Our country is maybe more divided than it's ever been. What's the answer? Well, if we could just get the right politicians in office, that'll fix it. No, because who determines who's the right politicians? Well, you know, it's always the one that I vote for, not the one that you vote for, the one that I vote for, right? If you would all just vote like me and think like me, then we'll have unity. What about in church? How can we experience unity in church? Well, if we just work harder, right? That's always a good answer, but that really doesn't help. What if we just all agree on the right things? If you'll just believe what I believe, and if not, then we're going to kick you out. Or if we'll just believe and think what you think, and if not, we'll kick you out, then we can experience unity. But that's not, that's not the way it's supposed to be, right? Jesus prayed in John 17 for our unity, just hours before he's going to be crucified on a cross, he's praying for you and I. And the one thing he's praying for is for us to be one just as the Father and him are one. He wants us to experience his unity. And he says that our unity will be a sign to the world that God sent him and that he is with us. Our unity is a witness to the world. So how can we experience unity? Nowhere in the Bible does it say create unity. Because we can't. We can't create unity. We can't create unity because we will never be able to determine what is the basis of our unity. We have too many backgrounds, too many different experiences. We have too many different opinions. And if we're going to create our own unity, it's going to result in disaster. It's why in Ephesians 4, <clears throat> Paul said, I urge you to live a life worthy. Be humble. Be patient. And make every effort to keep the unity. He doesn't say make every effort to create the unity. Because we can't create it. We can't create unity. We might could manufacture it for a short time. And that's what we see in the world. You see that team that goes on a run. That dynasty, the patriots, the warriors. They, they have unity for a little while until they don't. Until somebody becomes selfish, somebody wants too much money, somebody wants to share all the drama that's going on, and it breaks apart. And even in churches, you see some churches that experience unity for a time. 
And they manipulated it and manufactured it until it breaks down. We weren't called to create unity. We're called to keep it, to make every effort to keep it because it's received from God. James 1 says, every good and perfect gift comes from above. Unity is a gift from God that is only experienced when we find ourselves in Him, when we find our unity in Him. That's why Jesus is the basis for our unity. It's only found in Him, but I am the obstacle of unity. I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm selfish. I don't know if you knew that, but I am. But so are you. So we share a lot in common, don't we? There are times that I can try to make things about me, and I'm going to guess that you can make things about you as well. Maybe when I come to church, I might think something like, man, I wish, I wish we only sang these songs or these types of songs. Maybe some of you think, I wish we only sang old songs. Some of you think, I wish we only sang new songs. Some of you think, I wish we sang a blend of all, right? We can make it about us. Sometimes maybe you can think something like, I feel like people should only express themselves this way in worship. Or maybe you say something like, I wish the preacher would preach on this because I think that's what would fix everything. And I wish the kids ministry or the youth ministry would do this. Or I wish the elders would decide to do this. And all of a sudden what I can find is that I am actually the obstacle to unity. I can be the one who can ruin the unity of the church. So can you. A lot of times I make my points with a you because I want you to connect with it. But this one is personal to me. And it's not just because of the role that I have here. It's because I am a member of this body of Christ and I can be the obstacle to unity just like you. If there is something that I don't like or something that is frustrating me, what I can find myself doing is complaining I can find myself maybe trying to leverage influence or throw my weight around or pull some strings to kind of get what I want. Or I can do what others have done. I can just leave. I am the obstacle to unity. But so are you. And what Jesus is calling us to, what God is inviting us into, is something that's so beautiful, something that's so unique, and sacred, yet costly, but it's breathtaking that the world stops and pauses and goes, hold on a minute, that's different. That's not anything like I've ever experienced because true unity is received, not achieved. It comes from God, and it's only found when a group of people find Jesus as the basis for their unity. He's the one that brings us together. You think about all of us with all of our different stories and backgrounds and all of the different experiences that we've had, and we all come from different places in life. We all find ourselves at different walks of life, and we all have different interests and desires and things that we enjoy doing and things that we don't enjoy doing. And you bring us all and you shove us together in a room on a regular basis, and we're invited to share our lives together and actually not just sit in a room and sing together and listen to a message together for a little while, but actually be involved in one another's lives and actually be like family. And the more we do that and the more we find ourselves living together, the more potential for conflict to arise, right? So what keeps that from happening? Well, nothing. We're going to have conflict, right? You're going to have conflict with another individual. But what keeps us united is not us. It's Jesus and the Holy Spirit. That is the basis 
of our unity. But you and I must understand the role that we play in that unity. We're simply maintainers of it. We can so quickly be the obstacle to it. So, here's what we've got to understand. Unity does not equal uniformity. You know, if we could all think the same, talk the same, look the same, make the same kinds of decisions. I mean, we were like copycats of one another. We would still find something to disagree with. I have no doubt we would still find a reason to disagree because that's just who we are as humans. But that's not how God created us. He created us unique and different, and there is beauty in that diversity. One of my favorite texts in the Bible is 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul describes the church. He uses a metaphor, an image that we all understand. He describes the church as a body, as a human body made up of different parts. And there's this little section in there where he says, you know, if the whole body were an eye, think about that now, picture what he's trying to communicate. Picture this giant eyeball. That's all it is, is a giant eyeball, and it's just rolling down the street, okay? Just picture this. Now, it's, it's a crazy, maybe terrifying thought to some degree. What is the, this giant eyeball going to do when it rolls over a patch of dirt? I guess just be irritated because that's about all it can do. It's just, a, it's just a giant eyeball. It can't wipe the dirt off of itself because it has no hands. It has no eyelids. It has no tear ducts. It's just a giant eye. Or he says, what if the body were just a hand, just one giant hand? Maybe it's got a couple of different fingers, but it has no mouth. It can't feed itself. It can't function. It doesn't have a brain to tell it what to do. It's just a giant hand. That's not how God created the body. He created each of us unique. And when we come together as a body of believers, we are molded together. We are brought together in this beautiful picture of diversity, a group of people who have different abilities, talents, resources, experiences, outlooks on life. We're all at different places in our faith walk. We're all at different understandings and different levels of our understanding of God's word and his desire for our life and his will for us. We're all in different places, yet we come together and we find ourselves being brought into the body of Christ. We all have a different part to play. We all have a different role in the body. That's why he says, I can't say to the hand, I don't need you. It does need the hand. When it has dirt on itself. It needs the hand to remove it. And the hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you, because without the foot, the hand can't go anywhere and do the things that the body needs to do. We need one another. And then he concludes his thoughts by saying, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So you have a role, you have a function, you have a body part. And with all of your different backgrounds and experiences, I can't expect you to be at the same place that I'm at. I can't expect you to do the very same things that I do. We must embrace our diversity and celebrate the beauty that comes together when a bunch of different people with different experiences come together in the bond of Christ and celebrate together and share in life together with a unity that can only come from God himself. Man, that, that is what the psalmist says. It's beautiful. It's pleasant. It's like sacred oil flowing down from on high, down across Aaron's beard and across his robe, like the dew of Hermon from Mount, all the way to Mount Zion. That is God's blessing. 
forevermore. So, I want to close with this. How can we keep the unity of the Spirit? That's what Paul told us to do in Ephesians 4. Keep the unity of the Spirit. He said, you make every effort. What can we do? Here's a couple things I believe that we can do and we can put into practice. Number one, always start with the hardest one, right? Remember, it's not about you. Now, I made it personal for you, but I got to remember it's not about me. It's not about my desires. It's not about what I want. It's not about what you want because none of us are the head of the body. Jesus is the head of the body of Christ. It's about Jesus. It's about bringing him glory, celebrating the life that he's given to us, making a difference in this world for him. It's about Jesus and it's about others. I cannot make everything about me, though I've got to understand that's what I'm drawn to because I'm naturally selfish. I know that I am and I know that you are too. We cannot make it about us. Also, we've got to learn to make room for others. Did you catch what he said in Ephesians chapter 4? I know I could barely talk at that point, but he said, be patient, bear with one another. You ever had to bear with somebody? It's not fun, is it? It literally means put up with them. And I know there are people that you have to put up with. They're called family, right? They get on your nerves. They do all kinds of things that get under your skin because... Your family, you're living together, you're living in pro close proximity, and it requires you to have patience and to say, you know what, I'm going to look past this because please look past what, gets, what I do that gets under your skin. So we've got to make room. I've got to make room for you to be who you are, and you've got to make room for me to be who I am. And for all of our quirks and flaws and inconsistencies and sinfulness, and sometimes we're going to get under one another's skin and you're going to do something that offends somebody else. You're going to neglect to do something that you needed to do. I'm going to let you down. There are going to be times where we're going to fail one another. And we've got to make room through the grace of God for one another. We also need to get uncomfortable to make others feel comfortable. Now, some of, some of you are able to walk into a room and you can meet anybody and you don't get uncomfortable at all. And that's a gift from God. For others, you walk into the room and to go meet somebody new, that's like one of your greatest fears. I just want to encourage you in whatever capacity God is calling you to, to learn to embrace discomfort. There's no growth in the comfort zone. In some area, God is calling us to embrace discomfort. That's called faith, trusting him with something that we can only do by his strength. And so we've got to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And by doing that, what we'll see is that we will create, or excuse me, we will keep and maintain the unity of the Spirit. And maybe that's going to the person that you know is upset with you or the person that you're upset with and having that conversation. That's uncomfortable, but that's the only way families can work it out. Which, speaking of, work it out rather then run away. You're going to be offended. You're going to get upset. Somebody's going to do you wrong because none of us are perfect. We don't pretend to be a perfect church. We should never pretend to be a perfect church. This is a room filled with a bunch of sinners, sinners in need of the grace of God. I'm going to assume that there are several of you in this room who have been personally disappointed by another church member, maybe in a previous experience, maybe by somebody in this very room. And I'm going to assume that there are many of us in this room who have had to have a conversation, who have had to talk that out, and have had to deal with it. Can I just encourage you, if you're dealing with something, a situation where somebody has upset you, can I just plead with you 
to work it out rather than walking away. Work it out. That's a part of being family. It's what God is calling us to do. And then finally, do your part. You've got a role to play in this body of believers. God has given you a unique task, a unique responsibility. And without you, we are incomplete. You may think, no, I don't, I don't have a part to play. I don't have a role. I promise you do. God has gifted you. He has placed you exactly where you are. He has given you what he has blessed you with. He's given you certain talents and abilities so that when we all come together, we're able to fully bring glory to Jesus and do his will. For some, you've been blessed financially, and so that's when we put out a plea saying, hey, we've got an individual or a family that's in need. Some of you are able to step up and immediately take care of that. Others are able to work behind the scenes, and you're the one who is serving in another capacity. Some of you are able to cook. Some of you are able to go meet an individual. Some of you are able to give of a resource. Some of you are able to pray. Some of you are able to offer a word of encouragement. Some of you are able to teach. Some of you are able to Uh, utilize the skills God has given you to serve in some capacity. We all have a unique role to play. And if we each don't do our part, we can never experience the true unity of the Spirit. And so by doing those things, that's how we will maintain the unity of the Spirit. It's eternally important that we stay unified. It is directly tied to our witness to the world. Jesus is calling for us to be one, and we can in him. I'm so glad you're here today. If today you want to become a part of Jesus, you want to find life in him, we want to celebrate with you. We want to assist you in giving your life to Christ through baptism, where you can be added to the body of believers, where you can begin to find what is your body part, what is your role in the body of Christ, so that you can be added to the family of God and you can begin to walk with us as we're trying to uh, walk closer with Jesus and to journey toward heaven. We're all on this road trip of life and we're all journeying with one another together in growth toward Jesus. We want you to be a part of that if you're ready to do that. If you need prayers, if you need to send a text, set up a coffee appointment to work something out, you need to have a conversation with somebody that something's going on, I want to encourage you to do that. Whether it's send that text during this song, don't allow the Spirit of God, don't quench what the Spirit of God is trying to do in your life. If you're feeling convicted in some kind of way, whatever you need to do, Jesus is calling each of us to respond in the way that he's calling us to. If we can help you in any way, please let us know as we stand and sing.